This week on the Music Biz Weekly podcast, we get down into the legalities. The legalities of being a band. Trademarks, copyrights, band agreements, red flags and record label agreements. All of that. We sit down with a lawyer this week and he talks to us about everything that you need to be aware of. Welcome to the Music Biz Weekly podcast, founded in 2011 and with over 500 weekly episodes, where Michael Brandvold and Jay Gilbert, two longtime music industry pros, discuss the very latest trends, tools, and tactics that you Build need. Build a stunning band website in minutes with Bandzoogle. Go to Bandzoogle.com to start your free 30-day trial and use the promo code MUSICBIZWEEKLY to get 15% off the first year of any subscription. Everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Music Biz Weekly Podcast. You got Mike, you got Jay. We have a cool guest coming up in just a couple minutes here. Um, But before we get to that, thank you to Bruce and everybody at HypeBot and Bands in Town. Um, And of course, to our sponsors, Bandzoogle.com. Bandzoogle makes it so easy to build a stunning website and EPK for your music in just minutes. All the features you need are already built in, including dozens of fully customizable templates, tools to sell your music, merch, and tickets commission-free, mailing list tools to grow your fan list and send newsletters, integrations with Bandcamp, SoundCloud, YouTube, Bands in Town, and so many more, so you can easily add content from your other online profiles. And of course, their amazing live tech support from their musician-friendly team seven days a week. Plans at Banzoogle.com start at just $8.29 a month, which includes hosting and your own free custom domain name. Pay attention to that because we're going to talk about websites and domain names in just a minute here with our guest. Um, Music Biz Weekly podcast listeners, head over to Banzoogle.com, sign up, try it for free for 30 days. Use the promo code Music Biz Weekly. That's all one word, and you will get 15% off the first year of any subscription. That's bandzoogle.com, promo code Music Biz Weekly. And of course, thank you to discmakers.com. As we all know, vinyl's been kind of a, a, a label product now just because of high prices and tight supply, the turnaround time, the advanced lead. Um, it's kept any independent artists largely on the sidelines. And yet these independent artists want vinyl. Again, why haven't they? Price and turn times. Mm-hmm. Up until this week, 100 records at Disc Makers would cost you $1,990 to press. And that's a lot of money, especially when you compare it to pressing 100 CDs at Disc Makers for just 149 bucks. But Disc Makers has decided to rip the Band-Aid off and relaunch their entry-level vinyl strategy with a offer of 100 records for just $1,299. So they really want to make it affordable for all the indie artists out there to start selling vinyl. Yeah. So head over to discmakers.com, place your order for 100 vinyl records for $1,299. Jay, who's sitting down with us? This We're going to have a great conversation with a music industry attorney, which uh, we love to do this because this business is changing so quickly. Um, we're going to talk to Alex Laveco from uh, Chase Lawyers. Yeah, great discussion, especially for DIY artists, indie artists. Um, we talk about copyrights. We talk about trademarks, band agreements, 
red flags to look out for in record label contracts and so much more. So let it roll. We'll see you at the end. Subscribe on YouTube, follow and rate us on Spotify. Subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. We appreciate it. Today we are joined by an attorney, uh, Alex Laveco from Chase Lawyers. Uh, Alex, so great to see you. Pleasure to be here. Thank you, Alex. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for joining us today. There's so many things that we'd like to talk to you about, and we could go on for hours and hours, but we'll we'll focus on a few things today because there. One thing I've learned about the law, and I'd love to get your take on this, is that it's not black and white like we think it is. It's really more about what are the circumstances, you know, what what are the variables, what's going on. Talk about how you got into law and specifically music industry law. Well, I, I think uh, to, to, to touch upon the, you know, what you mentioned first regarding, you know, it not necessarily being black and white all the time. Like one of the things that you hate as a law student is hearing your professor tell you it depends, right? And then you become a practicing attorney <laughs> and that's all you tell your clients. Um, it depends. Yeah. So there's a little bit of that. Uh, what, what, what's that saying? You either live long enough to uh, either die a hero, or live long enough to see yourself become a villain. So I think that's that's kind of where we are with that, especially <laughs> with all the advancements in AI and everybody asking questions about, oh, sure. how is this going to look? How is that going to look? Yeah. And it depends is uh, a lot of the answers to that. As yeah. for my personal path, it's uh, I've just been lucky. Um, I've originally... I uh, gotten to meet my partners at my current firm uh, through a master's program in Madrid where I uh, studied sports law. And this is what mm. one of my partners practices. He does a lot of work in the MMA in the boxing area. And then I joined the firm about six, seven years ago, first as a law clerk. Then I got my degree in New York and uh, been practicing uh, here in Miami uh, alongside my partners for the past five, six years. So Nice. Mm-hmm. nice. And yeah, in well, that I- sense... Yeah, go for it. No, no, go go ahead. Continue, Alex. Yeah, we see we see a lot of people come in. You know, that's the benefit of um, you know being an entertainment law firm. I think generally entertainment law is just the variety of all the different things. We have musicians coming through the doors. We have influencers. We have filmmakers. We have people who want to utilize some of the digital advancements, right, and start their AI and Web three businesses. So um, that kind of diversity allows you to see a lot of cases uh, and have. Um, you know, a lot of different tools and, uh, you know, kind of practical approaches that you can utilize for the benefit of your clients. So got it. You know, we, we've got a lot of, a lot of our, our listener base for the music biz weekly podcast is, is DIY independent musicians and artists. Um, Quite often, no managers, no record labels, you know, they're, they, they're paying for everything by themselves. They're doing all this on their own, literally. Um, so I wanted to start by picking your brain on a couple things that I think are basic, but very should be very important for artists at the smallest level to start addressing legally. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them is trademarks. And the second one, band agreements. Okay. So do you want me to give you a little bit of a ins and outs on you know, my take yeah, on the yeah. – Yeah, yeah. Well, let's, let's start with trademarks. And, and I guess let's start with trademarks are not copyrights. What's the difference between a copyright and a trademark? For sure. So copyright is, um, you know, is something that is attributable to the works of 
uh, expression, right? So the moment you record something in the microphone, the moment you put something, you know, you write something on a napkin, you write a verse on a napkin, it is protected by copyright because you have originated it, you have created it, and you fixed it in a tangible medium of expression. It's a mouthful, but what it means is that you made it available for other pe people to read, listen, etc. So the moment you do that, um, you know, then your work becomes copyrightable. Um, and is automatically protected by copyright. Now, the registration is a separate process that gives you additional rights. But from the moment of creation, you have your copyrights. The trademarks, um, they have some similarities in terms of they don't necessarily require registration uh, to for you to have protection. Uh, however, the trigger that sets the trademark rights off is completely different from the copyright. Trademarks are associated with your brand names, with your logos with your band names, right, with your pseudonyms, with your artistic names, everything that you use in commerce or represent yourself for your consumer base, right? So if you have a pseudonym or you have a label name or you have a production company name that you use in your marketing, you use in your socials, you use anywhere and everywhere where consumers can potentially find you and purchase your services. So the moment you start using such a name in commerce, um, that is the trigger for the trademark rights to you know, start being applicable. Then the registration is a way for you to obtain priority, to expand the location of your rights from where you are actually using them to a more wide territory of the whole United States. That's what the federal registration provides you with, in addition to the damages, rights in the court, etc. But if we're looking at trademarks, think logos and uh, brand names, think Apple and Microsoft, as opposed to the sure. code that uh, you know binds their apps together. That is now, super does, helpful. Go ahead. Mike. Does 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 getting a registered trademark give you additional? Does it bring additional value to that property to that brand? Hundred percent. Hundred percent. I would. Even say that when it comes to, if we're comparing the two, right, both copyrights and trademarks, they originate without registration, right, in right. the U.S. at least, right. right, in other countries, sometimes registration, it becomes the trigger for the, for the rights. But here in the United States, both for the copyrights and the trademarks, the moment you create something with the copyrights or the moment you start using something in commerce as your signifier, uh, you have the rights. The registration provides you with, um, you know, a certain set of additional perks, right? Whether it be additional damages that you can request from people infringing on your rights or the right to have your attorney fees compensated by such an infringer, um, certain priority uh, when it comes to the burden of proof in court. If you have registrations, you don't have to prove that you own something. The person who infringed on it needs to show that they they have the burden of proving that Got you it. don't have proper rights. Makes so sense. you make it easier on yourself when you go to court or any type of demand letter, negotiation, settlement, right? The, the goal you know, of every good attorney should be to, to have their client be out of court and settle everything outside of it uh, just because of the sheer volume of costs that any litigation entails. Um, so you want to make sure that you have that leverage when you come to the negotiation table, right? If you are an artist and you have registered your rights to your trademark, uh, hence obtained federal protection, then any subsequent user of that name in relation to something similar, similar, you know, artistic expression, somebody's also using it in music or somebody's trying to promote other 
uh, project related to music using the same name that you have trademarked, then you would have very good leverage against them because you can show them the specific provisions, um, you know, in the Lanham Act, the Trademark Legislative Act, uh, that says that if I go to court, that's what I'm going to be able to do, which in theory and in practice oftentimes as well, allows you to avoid court altogether and settle and resolve that matter, you know, quickly, cheaper, and just without all the, you know, extracurricular activities that go into any type of litigation. So you're now, covered when you create a copyright or, you know, a brand name, but you would definitely recommend that they go another step and make sure everything's registered. I would say that um, the, pro the the kind of the triggers for, um, for copyright and trademark a little bit different. I would say that for copyright, you can, you know, the benefit, you can always register the mark, uh, the copyrights to a collective work instead of doing it individually. For instance, if you're releasing an album, right, you can pay $65 off the, you know, the fees to the copyright office and pay for, for the whole album altogether, as opposed to paying $65 per each work, right? Um, and you can do it, you know, the preference to do that would be, you know, on an unpublished stage or subsequently shortly after it has become uh, available to the public once you've distributed it to, you know, through tune course and CD Babies to the public. Now, when it comes to trademarks, I generally say that trademark protection is also very important at the early stages, but mm -hmm. you want to make sure that you your brand is, um, you know, bringing in money. If, if you are on a tight budget, if you are a DIY musician, you, you know, you can have all the lawyers in the world telling you how important something is, but then your wallet doesn't allow for it, right? right. So that's what we, yeah, so that's when I kind of, you know, then that's where as a lawyer, you need to be considerate of those things, right? And you need to provide strategies that allow you to say, oh, well, you see this trademark working for you. You have put up a, you know, a market store, a merch store, and you're selling your t-shirts using it, right? It is bringing you dollars. Well, use some of those dollars to register the trademark, right? Um, if you have an, you know, an infinite budget, then of course, you know, register all the names that you plan on using. You can register your names and have three and a half years uh, to start using them. That's an intent to use application. Um, but that is also, you know, obviously uh, always uh, grounded in actual budgeting consideration for a specific artists. So if something is making you money, better protect it to make sure that, you know, you, you, you don't lose it. Yeah. And, 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 and I can add to that, you know, especially in this day and age of, of various social networks out there. You know, if you come across somebody who's using your brand name, and you file a report online, quite often uh, the filing, automated filing online, whether it's through YouTube or whoever is going to say, well, can you please upload a photo of your registered trademark? Yep. Because otherwise they're going to just be, well, we're just taking this guy's word for it that he owns the trademark versus the other one. And, and I know from my own experience, I've trademarked um, a couple of my podcasts Mm -hmm. The second I found somebody who was using the name and it wasn't, they weren't doing it viciously or anything. They were just thought it was free to use. I sent them my copy of my trademark application and it went away immediately. I mean, there was, it was like by your ability to show you've got that registered certificate, everything just stops. Nobody can argue at that point because only 
I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here, but only one person can have the trademark registration for that mark. There can't, there can't be multiple people in the same business. Let's put it that way. You know, because trademark, trade, trademarks can happen. You know, there might be, I might have a, a music podcast that's trademarked, but that doesn't protect somebody from using that name to create food. Yep, correct. It's that it's that nature of are you in the same business, right? Will your the actual analysis is will your customers be confused, right? Exactly. The likelihood of confusion. So if you are saying that you are there's a certain level of marks, you know, think of it, you know, Apple, Microsoft, etc. Once you become a famous mark then you can also potentially prevent people from using it in relation to the brands and you know goods and services that you are not even you know using yet just due to the how famous the mark is right if somebody was started to right. um you know produce you know car engines app you know and mark them with apple then there could be some people who think that you know apple is now yeah. doing cars so yeah. it's one Makes of those sense. things but but generally yeah. speaking yes as long as um your particular name uh is within that very same area say field right same business and enterprise that the infringer that you would have those rights and that exclusivity to that name that the registration provides you with one yeah. other thing that you mentioned regarding the social media platforms is that absent any form of uh you know legal backing and this is kind of what the registration certificates come, you know, serve the purpose of, right? It's, I have had the government check this, perform analysis on this, and tell me that I own this. Uh, without that, it's usually very hard to go through the bots and go through the, you know, the customer service that is completely, right. uh, you know, non-person based. So if you, if you want to get any responses and if you want to, you know, have things actually be removed, then having those uh, additional certifications would just serve a great, um, you know, weight in that conversation. Okay, let, let, let me let me ask you. It, probably one of the most common trademark issues for a band is a band name. Mm -hmm. um, and you create a band. You've been a band for could be a band for a year, and then all of a sudden you learn there's another band that's got the same name somewhere else in the world. And they've been around five years longer than you. If you go out and trademark, does that automatically give you protection, even though that the other entity has been doing it longer? So that depends on the, a couple of different points, right? Because uh, trademark rights is any intellectual property rights are territorial, right? The particular yeah. government establishes the how we are going to be treating trademarks. Now, there are international conventions, right? Berne Convention for Copyrights, Madrid Protocol for Trademarks that allow countries to have those registrations that they perform in, in their country, right? Be expanded onto the territories of others. So it depends on whether your infringers are part of one of those, you know, conventions or they are, you know, in one of the... the if they're in North Korea, it's going to be a little bit, you know, difficult yeah. to, you know, <laughs> right. to, to tell them that your trademark prevails over theirs. Um, but generally speaking, yes, as long as you can prove that you have been operating in the market. Um, but there also are some instances where companies can, and bands in this instance, right, can simultaneously exist in different countries. They can have their validity that is tailored to their locale. And then if there is a conflict, then it's a question, then it becomes a question of who was there first. 
who had a higher presence in the particular market. Say one company has always been, one band has always been performing in Tokyo and Japan and the other one in the US. And then that now they're trying to figure out how would they, you know, what would their rights be in Netherlands or whatnot, right? And this is the question of, oh, is your music being distributed on the territory of this country, right? Even if you haven't obtained a registration on this territory, do you have any common law rights, right? The ones that start from you using that name. And here's the analysis is who has used it more, who has put in more marketing dollars into the use. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, who, who was there first as well, obviously play, play, plays a lot of role. I would say that when it comes to bans and trademarks, it's not necessarily even the, you know, a third party band that infringes on your name. Um, that is the gist of the majority of the issues. It's usually the band members among themselves not knowing what what they can do with the trademark. So a ban, a, so and this is a good segue into band agreements. So what you're what you're referring to there is you've had a band and somebody leaves the band or you know two people leave the band, two people remain and everybody wants to claim the right to use the band name obviously. How does that work itself out? And that leads to the importance of band agreements. Yeah, it works itself out only if the parties have been, you know, cautious enough to actually execute an agreement delineating all the different, you know, administration of those intellectual property rights provisions. Um, I see a lot of instances where an ex-band member who came up with the name but then left the band, right, thinking, oh, I own the name and I, I have come up with it, right? But then... Uh, you have been under a label for years and years, and your recording label agreement says that all the intellectual property rights belong to the label, and they have registered the trademark accordingly, right? And it also stipulates that if you leave the band, you won't be able to you know, do anything with it. But if we are talking about an independent context where the label is not involved, then it becomes a little bit of a mess if you don't have that agreement. The benefit of any type of agreement, then I think one of the things... Um, that I that, that I like in terms of like that those motivational quotes that you put in the blackboard or whatnot that Jay Z once said you know you're you're not a businessman you're a businessman right yeah that's the approach that I think all musicians should take and uh, as it applies to any business if you are going into a business with somebody you better have an agreement delineating how the money is split how the assets are split what happens if somebody dies what somebody ha you know what happens if somebody wants to leave the company. Right. Um, and if you don't have that understanding, that just creates uh, ground for conflict, because the only way to avoid conflict is to predict it and to put all the different provisions dealing with what happens if we have that conflict. Uh, because unfortunately, oftentimes um, people think about lawyers when there's an issue, right? right. Not necessarily as a, I, I like to tell my clients or prospective clients that think about of lawyers as insurance policy, Right. It's the same exact process. You can you need to invest now so you don't have to invest 10 times more in the litigation because you didn't have an agreement at the beginning. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, and speaking of agreements, let's talk about record company contracts for a second because they've evolved, right? Over over time, the, the days of basically giving some record company your master, you know, and you get a small advance and, you know, recoupments and, those deals seem to be evolving and changing now because of the fact that there are so many ways to see 
what kind of audience a band has and what kind of potential they have. Talk a little bit about the evolution of recording contracts. Well, I would say that the evolution, unfortunately, hasn't always, um, you know, uh, doesn't always express itself um, in practice. It's it's a matter of do you have leverage to demand evolution, right? Right. If, but on the other hand, it's um, it's the nature of the game. If you are an artist who doesn't necessarily have a fan base, a following, um, a social media following at that, uh, that would... You know that would you know create an argument for the sales, right? And that that would be the pitch, right? As you are an artist and you're coming to a label, oh, I have all this following, right? If you don't have that leverage, you're gonna get the worst deal possible. Sure. If you have that leverage, and this is you know fortunately where I have some of my you know personal clients, independent musicians, a lot of them come from the you know from other venues they are influencers who have ventured into music or they're youtubers who are you know releasing their al album or their reality tv stars so if you are at that point right that allows you to have more leverage and you have demand. exactly you have demand and then you can you know your record label agreement becomes pretty much a partnership agreement right not in terms of the you know partners and llc's not in that instance but in terms of it. I'm coming here with the following and I'm going to be promoting this work on my following. And you need this as a record label because you have less followers on Instagram than I do. Right. So <laughs> it's as simple as and obviously as a record label, you're going to be able to put your marketing dollars behind it. You're going to be able to place it in different publications. You're going to do PR. You're going to place it in certain playlists. And that is where your value comes in. But I'm also here coming with the value. So yeah. as long as that is the case and the parties are more or less um, equal in how they're, you know, coming to the negotiation table, that allows for much more, you know, much more easier conversations and much more, you know, I fairer bet. deals just because, yeah. you know, you can allow yourself to do that. That makes a lot of sense. A Alex, what are, what are a couple things in a record contract that an artist should look out for red flags? And, and one of, one of them you had, you'd brought up, when we were talking about trademarks is, oh, the, the record label contract gives the label ownership of all of the IP and they've trademarked the name. And, you know, and, and I've worked with clients who have like, I didn't realize it, but the record label owns my URL, which is my given name. They own my website. If I, when I left, I couldn't get it back from them. What are some of these things that artists and, and of course, this is why you have to have a lawyer to read all of this and tell you this, but that are getting put into contracts versus back in the day when a record contract was just about music. It's no longer just about music. There's a lot more valuable assets an artist has than just their songs. I would say this is where that preliminary education in regards to the you know, the types of revenue streams that you have as an artist and the types of people who can facilitate you, you know, improving those revenue streams. This is where that comes about, because if you don't know, um, you know, that you need to have a record label to distribute your recordings and you need to have a publisher to place your compositions and it would be great to have a manager to, you know, get you live shows. And it would also be awesome to have an agent to represent you in any, you know, film scenarios and any, you know, advertisement participation that you want to do. 
if you are not familiar with that, then you're going to be looking at the record label agreement as like, oh, they are the end all be all. But unfortunately, that's not always the case. There are indie record labels that don't necessarily have a lot of pools or there are record labels that specialize in a specific genre or in a specific type of format of collaboration, right? This is what we're good at. We do PR and we help you there, right? So what you don't want to do and you don't want to have in the record label agreement is you don't want to have an agreement that is a mixed mash of, you know, I'm going to find you, um, you know, opportunities and I'm going to get a cut of all of your revenue. That's managers, right? I'm going to, you know, take your compositions, yes. get 50% of it, and maybe I'll place them somewhere, but I'm just getting them because I'm a record label, right? So you're getting a 360. Um, that's not something that I, you know, that I enjoy in those conversations. I think... If you have the leverage to ask those questions and you need to ask those questions either way, because, you know, the answers oftentimes are going to you know, give you an understanding of where you stand with that leverage with the label. You need to ask in regards to each of the clauses what it is needed for. Right. Because if you have a provision stipulating that you must appear for, you know, six public appearances a year to promote the album, that makes sense. But if they're saying that they're going to have a perpetual forever license to use your name, image, and likeness in association with anything and everything that they ever create, and then they're going to use AI and put you in music videos when you didn't consent to it, that's a little bit too much, right? So that is that element where you need to have an attorney on your side, right? That's the preference because those agreements are long, lengthy, and, you know, pretty, pretty extensive. Um, yeah. Or alternatively, just make sure that you are not being, um, you know, just told that, oh, this is just the industry standard, right? There's no industry standard. The industry is changing daily. Why sure. do you need a reserve clause that gives you 15% of the broken CDs when nobody has ever printed a CD in the last 10 years? When, when, it, when, it, when it's only a digital release, why am I being charged for breakage yeah. if it's only digital? <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. And those are the questions that a music artist, you must ask and it's one of those things where i recommend um all of the clients it is your business right it is your business you can't just say oh my attorney will handle it or my label will handle it mm -hmm. if you are not involved to the extent of caring what it is that you're assigning um you know then at a certain level you could expect you know your label to also not necessarily be that involved yeah. and just make sure that you care about what it is that, that makes a lot of sense well well yeah you know that that being cared kind of leads into what i was going to follow up here is it seems to me some of these basic things we're talking about the trademarks the band agreements um registering urls websites it would make more sense even though it might be a cost up front that an artist doesn't necessarily have the luxury of affording they should do all that on their own, as opposed to, you know, signing that record deal and the label goes, well, we noticed that your your name is not trademarked. We'd be happy to trademark it for you. Great. I don't have the expense. But what you don't realize is they're probably trademarking it. And now to they them. own it yeah. to them. And, oh, we'll go register the URL for your band website. Great. Now the label owns that URL. It would be much easier if you already own the registration, own the trademark, and and at least then someone's going to have to go. Well, we want you to transfer ownership to us. Now that opens up that that sort of puts the red flag in a spotlight of like, 
wait a second, why do you want me to transfer ownership of a domain to you or a trademark to you? Or, you know, why are you, why are you a co-signee in a band agreement? What, you know, whatever it, it seems to me some of those basic things would be smarter for an artist to do upfront on their own. So that way they can't get taken away from them. It actually applies to a lot of different businesses. Um, it, even I would have a conversation today with one of my startup clients and they were asking me why it is that I need an operating agreement or a shareholders agreement for my company. And that was exactly the argument because you don't want your investors who come in to invest money into you, which is the same exact context as the record label coming in to invest money into the musician to be involved in the conversation about how you structure your assets. You want to have a way how you structure your assets. You want to have the registrations. You want to have the rights. You want to have an understanding of what it is that you have uh, so that any type of you know request on their behalf to change that or to assign that should follow, you know, should be should have a corresponding payment to it, right? Oh, you want my trademark? Okay, cool. I want a marketing budget to promote my trademark or I'm going to license my trademark to you for the duration of the term. So you can do whatever it is that you want to do it, but I'm going to have a licensing fee here or alternatively, you're going to put a marketing budget to make sure that you promote. So it shouldn't, so it doesn't come out as, oh, we're just going to put this agreement together and then you're going to wonder what it has happened to me, you know, five years later down the road. Um, yeah, then you have a little bit more control when you are yeah. originating all of those transactions. Yeah. As we sort of wind down here, Alex, I want to ask you something uh, a little unusual. If let's say I'm an artist and you're representing me and I signed a bad deal and I gave away the farm and I come to you, can you help? Can you renegotiate or am I screwed? It depends on the leverage, right? And it also depends on how much hoopla can you create for that label, right? What it is, what is the bad deal? Is it the bad deal that could um, potentially, you know, if become known to public, uh, can that, um, you know, hurt the person who, you know, you have the deal with in some way, shape or form? Then you have uh, some can leverage. You, yeah, can you get some leverage this way? Uh, alternatively, if this is the agreement that they sign with everybody, can you get me 10 people and then we can come to them with 10 people saying that this contract is unacceptable and we need to change it? And now their whole roster is, you know, kind of striking against them. Um, it depends on how much leverage you can obtain and how much um, kind of damage can you create for them? Because if you are an artist with a successful catalog that is being utilized and you think that, you know, your label is not doing the job that it should be doing, but your label is constantly getting money from it, then it's going to be harder to leave that relationship as opposed to if you are not making any money, right? If somebody has just shelved you uh, and decided that they're not going to do anything with your project and now you want to go to another label that would do it, then Generally, I think it's an easier way out because for the label, they're not winning anything by shelving you per se, especially if you're going to have all the negative hoopla and the PR on a on the other end of the spectrum to kind of counterbalance that. Yeah, so, I, I, I hear a common theme. It depends. <laughs> and that's that's my favorite. Word, right. Right? Well, yeah. we were talking to an economist uh, and he was saying that theirs is on the other hand. Yeah. <laughs> So no, that's that's super helpful. Yeah, I, I would say also it's um, you, you always want to make sure that one of the key 
kind of functions of a lawyer, in my personal opinion, in all the creative, um, you know, relationships is you want to have a lawyer be the bad guy. Because if you have a good relationship with your A&R department, with your labels A&R department or your management group, whoever else, but you don't like the terms of the deal that you have, you'd rather have the lawyer be the microphone for that message. Makes sense. Uh, and then at the end of the day, you can say, well, just, you know, my lawyer is being, you know, overly protective of me. I'm sorry. Uh, if, you know, there's some push that, um, you know, has certain negative fallback or whatnot, but that allows you to maintain that creative relationship and have the attorney be the fall guy. That's that makes a lot of sense. You know, I would love to have you back on from time to time because we can, there's so many different areas and it's evolving and changing, like you said. So um, it's just been a, a fascinating conversation today, Alex. We really appreciate you coming on. Before we let you go, tell mm -hmm. people where they can learn more about you and, and your firm and what you do. Uh, we are present in all the social medias. I think what LinkedIn, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook at Chase Lawyers. Chase is a bank lawyers as lawyers usually go. Uh, the firm was founded by the name of my senior partner, Mr. Barry Chase. Uh, so here we go, uh, competing with banks. Uh, <laughs> there you, there you go. Trade, trademark different issues. Business. Yeah, but different, different sectors, different businesses. So uh, yeah. exactly, exactly. But yes, Chase lawyers everywhere that you can find us, and uh, you know I'm there on the, on the page. Feel free to uh, give me a, send me a ring or book a consultation with me. I'm available. All right, all right. Thanks, Alex. Awesome. We really Thank appreciate you, Alex. your time today. Appreciate Let's do it this so much. My pleasure, guys. All right. See you next time we're in Miami. Take care. Jay, it's always good uh, sitting down with with a lawyer and just yeah. going over a lot of the basics. Because again, yeah. you know, we've got a lot of indie first time beginning artists here, and I know it's scary to sit here and go, "Oh, you need to hire a lawyer. You need to pay for some registrations and trademarks." And I know I think when I trademark my podcast, the 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 fees and the legal fees came to about 750 bucks. Now, I mean, that in itself isn't a lot, but if you're a band that's not making any money, $750 might as well that's be a million dollars. Yeah. Um, but I can also tell you from firsthand experience, there's been a couple of times where I've had to pull out the trademark and go, I own the trademark, stop. And yeah. they do, they do, because the only other option would have been legal fees if you didn't have that trademark now it's going to be a lot more expensive than 750 bucks if you find somebody else is using your band name or your logo or you know if you're getting to the point where you have to deal with bootleggers somebody's making t-shirts with your logo on it you got the trademark it's kind of easy to shut them down yeah yeah i thought it was a good uh conversation i love talking about planning ahead and solving these problems and having agreements in place early on so you don't run into those things. One of the things we talked about, what happens if you and I are in a band and we both split up the band and we go our different ways, who gets to use the name of the band? I've often wondered how that worked out. Well, that, you, you plan ahead and you have an you agreement. Pl you plan ahead. And, and I think I was just thinking that's an amazing example. We can all, every listener right now, just go look at what's going on out in the world of rock and roll right now. There are so many bands that have been around for 30, 40, 50 or more years that don't have all their original members, but there might be band member who left that's out there as so-and-so formerly of, you know, and, and believe me, 
all of that is through an agreement. Mm -hmm. You, you know, you have, you have a, you have a band agreement, you have a separation agreement that, that specifies exactly. You may not use the logo once you leave the band, but you can use the name and say you were the former lead singer of the music biz weekly podcast. Mm -hmm. That's not just somebody on their own, just waking up and doing it. That's all agreed upon. And, and there's in this day and age now with all these bands, there's a lot of, it's almost like monthly you're reading about all oh, this band lead guitarist is suing the band because they didn't, they can't use the name or they don't think the band's allowed to use the name plan ahead. You get that band agreement up front. Yeah. And you know, if you're like lucky you said, in your like band, insurance, right? It's insurance. If your band lasts 40 years, that band agreement can last you 40 years too. It's yeah. been agreed upon. This is what, we say is the usage of the name. This is who yeah. owns it. If you quit the band, you give up any rights to use it, which a lot of times is how this plays out. The last standing band member is the one who owns the name of the band. Typically. Typically, they're yeah. the last one there. They didn't quit. They didn't get fired. Nothing. They're still there. Everybody else, you, you give up your rights quite often once you are out of the band. Yeah. So... Yeah, it's it's good information to have um, understanding of of some of the copyrights, trademarks, band agreements, record label contracts. Uh, you know, I think it's safe to say never never assign a record label contract reviewing it just on your own. No, you have to have you have to have somebody else look at it yeah, and ask yeah. those questions like, well, why are you taking all of my merchandise from me? Yeah. Why am I giving you to look for, right? Yeah. They're complex by design. They're complex. Exactly. It's, it's hidden in clause four of this paragraph, but in legally, if, if you sign it, you're basically giving them full ownership of your name and domain and website forever. Yeah, yeah, smart to so have an attorney. It was a really good smart, conversation. Smart to plan this out up front. Yeah. So um, before we wrap, once again, just a quick shout out and thank you to Bruce and everybody at HypePod and Bands of Town. Did you see the the um, Shazam Bands in Town agreement is live and in the wild now? Yeah, it's pretty exciting. Cool. So now, yeah. now when you Shazam a song, it'll also give you the option to see where that artist is playing live. Makes sense, right? No, another reason you better have your tour dates up on Shazam, people. Um, and of course, thank you to our sponsors, Banzoogle.com and Discmakers.com. We appreciate their support. That's it. We'll see everybody next Industry week. Industry professionals listen to the Music Biz Weekly podcast. If you have a product or service and would like to reach this audience, Get in touch with Michael or Jay to discuss sponsorship this opportunities. For Music Biz Weekly, provided by LarryDavisVoice.com and by JessicaMarsVoice.com. That's Mars with a Z.